Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited. We're kicking off a new series on Wednesday nights. Is anybody just excited that it's Christmas season? Like Thanksgiving, like Thanksgiving has, has come and gone. God bless it. And here we are a day away from December uh, and Christmas lights are, are going up. Trees are being bought or cut or uh, stolen from a neighbor's yard wherever you get your tree. It is making its way to your living room, uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's starting. Christmas is here, whether you like it or not. Have you ever gotten a Christmas gift that you had to fake like you liked? Like, have you ever, maybe it's like a, a family member that doesn't know you as well as they think they do, or, or maybe it's the, like the off-brand version of the thing you wanted. You know, you, you wanted like the, the new Jordans, but you got Skechers that kind of looked like Jordans, you know? <laughs> Sorry, someone's wearing right now. I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about your shoes. I'm talking about other sketchers that somebody else bought somebody else. You know, like it, it's the thing you want kind of, but there's something in you that's kind of like, I sort of wish you would have just gotten me a gift card. You know, like there's that feeling, maybe it's just me, like, but there's that feeling that you, you sort of have to fake like you like it. Uh, we had a situation, uh, I think it was last Christmas, uh, we have a handful of nieces and nephews, and we had gotten some Polly Pockets uh, for uh, our, our two nieces. And, um, and so we have two nieces. One is uh, a little bit, uh, one is sweet and one is sour. It's sort of like they kind of, you know, work together in that way. Uh, and so uh, the, the sweet one came and, and just said, thank you so much for these Polly Pockets. This is so great. Um, and, and then the other one said, we already have that one. <laughs> And she goes, no, 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 truly, we're not supposed to say that. And so we said, hey, well, let's just return it and we'll buy you something else. But we, we've had those moments, right, where there's this, this present that someone, you know, probably worked really hard to get to and it just didn't hit the mark. And you sort of have to do the polite, like, smile. Maybe it's also like at the office Christmas party when they set a limit of $20 for the gift. It's like, dude, if it was 20 bucks, I probably could have gone and got it myself. Like, I don't need, I don't need, like, the, the extra little shamrock keychain. You know, whatever it is. You've probably been in a situation where you, you had to fake like you liked the present. Um, and it's awkward. And it sort of makes you start to ask, why are we even doing this thing? Like, why, why are we doing this again? Why are we coming to the same office Christmas party? Why are we uh, having the same ugly sweater Christmas party? Why are we having the same hot chocolate with the same candy cane? Why are we putting the same marshmallows in the same punch? Why is the question that we have. And I think that if we could just be a little bit more honest, that sometimes we don't just feel like we have to fake with a Christmas present. Some of us might feel like we have to fake that way about Christmas itself. Where it's another December, we put out the same lights we put out last year. We see the same family that we see once a year. We act like we know each other better than we do. And then at the end of the month, we pack it all away and get on with our life. 
Maybe there's a painful memory that's attached to Christmas somehow, or maybe it just feels like another year, another little baby Jesus and wise men around, another little production of kids singing the same songs. And we know it's supposed to mean something. I mean, you, you're in a church now, so you have some affiliation with the church. You've probably been to something. We sing the songs, and we, we know it's about Jesus in a manger, and we fake like it's meaningful, but we're thinking the same thing that we're thinking at the White Elephant Gift Exchange. Yeah, this is, this is okay. Maybe you're on the opposite side, though. Maybe you are an elf in human clothes. Like you, you uh, masquerade as a human 11 months of the year, and then in December you have just you uh, erupt with Christmas cheer, and you live for the office party, you live for the lights, you can't wait all year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But I would ask you the same question. Is it really what it's about? Is it really about putting the same lights up, going to the same office Christmas party, and accepting the same gifts from the people who don't know you as well as they thought you did? And that sort of, I guess, brings us into the Christmas series that we're going through on Wednesdays. It's called, It's Christmas, So What? It's Christmas, So What? We get so familiar with the Christmas narrative the cute little baby Jesus, surrounded by his loving family, the wise men, the shepherds, the camels. Camels. There's camels. I don't know why there's camels there. But there's, you know, the whole situation, a donkey probably, that we start to develop this confirmation bias where when we hear the Christmas narrative, we're just pushing in and rebuilding this narrative that we've already created, looking for things to confirm what we already believe to be true, that Christmas is a good thing, a bad thing, a normal thing, an abnormal thing. But how do we re-enchant the Christmas story? How do we look at it with new frames and new lenses? When I'm discipling somebody, the first thing I do is I buy them a Bible that looks just like this, a New Testament that looks just like this. Uh, it's $3 on Amazon for the large print, $2 for the regular print. Uh, and so it's just a couple bucks. Uh, and so, uh, and I give it to them and I say, we're going to read through the New Testament. And what I, what I ask them to do is read through on this, with this, instead of a Bible that they already have, if they have one, um, because this doesn't have your highlights. It doesn't have your markings from a couple years ago. You haven't seen these pages before. And I say, let's read the Bible like, as if we've never read it before. Like, what would Jesus look like if we'd never heard of Jesus before? Like, if we've never opened the pages of Scripture, what would it really uh, be like? And I think when we start to read Scripture like that, especially as it pertains to the Christmas narrative, we start to re-enchant the story of Christmas. The, the confirmation bias that we look for every year, that whatever Christmas has meant, it will continue to mean, starts to be broken up when we look at Scripture as if we've never read it before. And so uh, I think that as we do this, we see it with re-enchanted frames and I think we can see something different tonight. Let's pray together. Jesus, be with us as we search your word. God, help us to know you. God, help us to see you and help us to experience you through your word with your people in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So you can go to Luke chapter 2. 
And we're going to be in the first seven verses of chapter two. Uh, and it says this, as you're getting there, it'll also be on the screens. Uh, it, it, I would encourage you to, to get it, uh, you know, up on your Bible app or in your, um, your paper Bible or however you are reading the Bible tonight. If you're, you know, on screen version, and that's great too. Uh, and so Luke chapter two, verse one, uh, it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. When you hop down to verse four, it says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So what we're doing is we're looking at scripture as if we've never read it before. And there's, uh, when you read scripture, there are several acronyms that people like to, to come up with to sort of help frame their study of scripture. One that I like is the acronym ROAD, uh, read, observe, ask, do. Uh, this is something that uh, Pastor Steve Merle, the uh, leader of our Every Nation family of churches that we're a part of, uh, kind of came up with. And so uh, it's pretty simple. Read. Uh, we just did that. We read it. And then making observations, asking good questions, and then figuring out what do we do with that thing. So we read it. Uh, and then when you make observations, you want to read it like an atheist is reading a magazine. Like you, you're not looking for what it means. You're looking for what it says. And so before you start going, okay, how does this apply to my, my work relationship that's, you know, breaking down? How do I, how does this apply to my parenting? Before you get there, you just want to say, what does it say? And so we read it. And if we start to make some observations, uh, looking at the story we just read, it's actually surprisingly underwhelming. You have jo Joseph, right, who has his fiance, Mary, and they're doing what everyone else is doing going to their hometown to be counted. Now, a little bit unconventional, she's pregnant. And so you have, uh, you know, the guy, his fiance, going to their hometown. And it's not crazy in that culture. It's pretty shameful to be pregnant and not married. So family doesn't really want to take them in. It's also not crazy that the inn is, is booked because everyone else is coming from out of town. And so they happen to have their baby where they have to have a baby in a stable. And so on service value, if we're just observing as if we've never read scriptures before, it looks just like an unplanned pregnancy at an inopportune time. I mean, it's just a couple who's not married but pregnant who has to have a baby in a stable because there's no other place to be. And if you stop there, it starts to be pretty, uh, <laughs> you start to get into some dangerous implications. And that's why when we read scripture, we have to follow the process. We have to look at the greater context. So if we're just observing, we have an unplanned pregnancy at an inopportune time. But is that really it? Now we ask questions, okay? So we ask questions and that, that's where things start to get bigger. You ask things like, who's Joseph? Who's Mary? Where's Bethlehem? You have even more important questions like, why is this baby worth mentioning? What's the backstory here? 
And before you can get to do, before you can get to applying anything or what that means for our life, you have to ask some of these questions. And to get some context, uh, we start to get some context when we zoom out a little bit in the story. And we look even, so you have uh, Luke, which is the fourth gospel, the fourth story about Jesus. And we were in chapter two. If you zoom out just a chapter earlier, we see that this isn't just any baby, but there's an encounter that Mary has. Uh, we see in Luke 1, 26 through 35, uh, I'll just give you the bullet points, the cliff notes, the highlight reel, uh, that she was a virgin. Okay, so now someone's pregnant, but they had not done the things that you normally do to become pregnant. That gets interesting. So she's a virgin. An angel came to her, told her she'd become pregnant by the Spirit of God, told her to call his name Jesus, told her that he would be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord uh, will give him the throne of David. His kingdom will have no end. Now things start to get interesting. Am I right? Now this baby who was once just an unplanned pregnancy at an inopportune time starts to have things said about him that are a little bit more than ordinary. It's not just any baby anymore. And so we start to see Luke 2 in a little bit of a new frame. When we see it's not just a baby, apparently it's the son of God. Apparently, this angel has some claims about who this baby will be. And and so now we're starting to paint this picture of who this baby is. But what if we zoomed out even further? We looked in Luke chapter 2. We zoomed out a little bit and got into Luke 1. But like I said, the Gospels are, are, are four accounts of Jesus' life from different vantage points, different angles. So what if we zoomed out just to look at the Gospels? I love looking at how uh, each of these writers looked at the same things in different lenses. So let's look how John recounts Jesus coming to earth. In John chapter 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything that has been made was made. And the word became flesh, in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Have you ever been walking in the rain and accidentally stepped in a puddle? Like, it was raining like crazy last night. We had to, I had to run to Lowe's for something, and so it was raining. But I was like, you know what, doggone it, I'm going to make it. Everyone else was wimps and, like, staying inside. They're like, oh, it's a tornado. I'm like, whatever. And so, like, running out, uh, you know, to my car and just stepped in this, I was, like, on a mission. And next thing I know, I'm ankle deep in a puddle. Socks all wet, shoes all wet. Should have stayed inside. But like if you've ever had that experience, the floor or the ground was deeper than you initially thought it was. And that's how I feel when I get to a scripture like this. You read over it and you go, hey, that's pretty cool. But when you really stop to think and you compare that with Luke's recounting or Luke's uh, visuals of, of, of the coming of Jesus, you go, hey, this is actually deeper than what it looked like. This isn't just a baby being born that was said that it was going to be the son of God, but this seems to be God himself. And so he paints this picture. He says uh, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. 
Because when you just look at Luke, you go, wait, weren't we just talking about a baby? And so here we have uh, this picture of uh, this, this echo of Genesis where he's talking about in the beginning was the word. And you know, in the beginning, uh, God spoke the, wor- the world into existence. The creative power of God here made flesh. And it makes me think, like I used to think that if you understood everything about the Bible, you could understand everything about God. Like if you just, and I'm talking, you knew the original language, you understood word for word. If you spent every second of every day of your life just in the word, eventually you would come to the end of God and you would go, man, I got it. Now the catch 22 and how I sort of rationalize is, well, no one's going to do that. So yeah, God's eternal. But like, think about it. We have here described in John 1, an eternal God. A God that is without space and uh, not in the confines of time. And and I have a a little graphic to kind of just help us illustrate a little bit. So we have an eternal God that is beyond the confines of, of reality itself. That he cannot be contained by anything. Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too hard for him. There's nothing he has not seen and experienced and even planned since the beginning of eternity. He is the Alpha and the Omega. You have eternal God. This God has to humble himself just to exist in our reality. This God has to humble himself just to exist in the confines of space and time as we continue. So this eternal God who goes on and on forever has to humble himself just to be in reality. And so now he's humbling himself into space and time. God goes beyond our understanding of space and time itself. And so now he even humbles himself uh, to personify himself, uh, giving himself uh, uh, attributes that we can understand of of human uh, adjectives to even describe this eternal God. And so he has interactions with humanity that we have documented in 66 books. So we have 66 books trying to capture an eternal God. Now you take it even further and you have 33 years of Jesus on earth. If you have every millisecond of Jesus' life for 33 years, do we think that that could possibly encapsulate an eternal God without borders, without uh, any sort of uh, thing that can contain him at all. You have 33 years. This is the image of God walking amongst us. And of those 33 years, now if you, if you are 33 years old, I'm, I'm going to be 30 next month, so 33-ish. We'll just call it 33. Uh, and so I don't think that my whole entire life could be summarized in just four Gospels, like four books. I'm not saying I have an extraordinary life. I've just lived almost 33 years. Uh, And so uh, in that, you have four books about Jesus. And in those four books, you have 229 unique events. 229 unique events that we have about Jesus' life on earth. This includes the pre-Jesus in the first couple chapters of the Gospels, and it includes the beginning of Acts when Jesus is still there. Everything, 229 events of Jesus' life. 
And so when you start to look at this, you realize God is a little bit bigger than we think he is. We realize that God is a little bit bigger than we thought we could understand. That what we think we know about God is just a drop in the ocean of his grace, a drop in the ocean of his goodness, a drop in the ocean of who he is, his character. It makes me think like this. That, uh, I, I live um, or I grew up in Washington State, which is pretty much on the opposite side of the country. And so you have um, us here in Tennessee, and if we were to take a road trip back to Washington State, there are millions of roads between here and there. Millions, millions of roads, and we could spend every second of every day of all of our life trying to learn all the roads. We probably couldn't, uh, it, but you have millions of roads that I will never, ever know about. But in order to get home, in order to get to Washington, I only need to know about the roads that are gonna get me there. And so we have in this Jesus a presentation of an opportunity to be in relationship with God, but there is so much more God than we ever realized there was and realized that there will ever be. We will spend eternity getting to know this God, learning this God, because just when we thought he couldn't get better, he does. Just when we thought he couldn't get bigger, he does. Just when we thought he couldn't get more loving, he does. When we think he couldn't get more holy, he does. This God, this God, this is the Genesis 1 God. This is the John 1 God, that in him, all things were made, and without him, nothing has been made that is made. This Jesus, it says in John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus now gives us, he informs and defines who God is. It makes me think of this quote by N.T. Wright that I love. He says this, My proposal is not that we understand what the word God means and manage to somehow fit Jesus into that. Instead, I suggest that we think historically about a young Jew possessed of a desperately risky, indeed apparently crazy vocation, riding into Jerusalem in tears, denouncing the temple, and dying on a Roman cross. And that we take our courage in both hands and allow our meaning for the word God to be recentered around that point. I was walking around the office yesterday uh, and between meetings and, and things, I noticed on a coworker's desk there was a puzzle. Uh, there's, it was a lot of little pieces uh, in this puzzle. It looked like this. Um, and so uh, I was, you know, I kind of like puzzles. And so I, I had a second. So I, I didn't ask if that coworker's watching online. I don't know to say you're sorry or you're welcome. Um, but I, I did that. Um, and so it was, you know, it, it was kind of sitting uh, on the desk. There was a couple pieces put together. And so I said, you know, I'm going to give it my best shot. I gave it about, you know, five minutes and stuff. Um, but it, I started to run into some problems here. Like I could put together like the bottom pieces of it, right? Because you could see there's some words. Um, but 
I didn't know what the puzzle made. Like, I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. And so, I don't know what, I still don't know what, what's on the top. You start to get to this situation where you go, okay, yeah, uh, uh, relational, biblical, apostolic, global, cool, like Christian words, yeah, missional. And, and so you start to do that. And then I start to get to all of these colorful things at the top. And I realize I'm in a little bit of a, a hard situation because I have no reference point for what it's supposed to look like. But here's the thing. Jesus, this baby in a manger, doesn't come and he's not the missing puzzle piece. He's the reference point for what God is. He is the puzzle that we're putting together for the rest of eternity, that we're now seeking out God. We have this revelation of God through Jesus, that God doesn't just define uh, who Jesus is, but Jesus helps us define who God is. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God wrapped in swaddling clothes, that this baby isn't just a baby. He's eternity lying in a manger. That you have the alpha and the omega in swaddling clothes. That you have the same God, the same God who asked Abraham to put Isaac on the altar is now putting himself in a manger. You have the same God that parted the Red Sea is now parting the way from earth to eternity. That The same God of the Old Testament, the same creator, the same breather of life is taking his first breath on earth as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being born in a stable. When we zoom out a little bit, it starts to look different. That's if we zoom from one gospel to all of the gospels. But what would happen if we zoomed all the way out to see what scripture said? Now we know before, uh, this isn't going to be a long night. So if we said all scripture, we could be here for a while. Uh, But we know that the entirety of scripture is to point us to God. But what if we just kind of did a a search, a scan for stuff that's going to help us understand Luke 2? Because remember, that's where this all started. What's going to help us understand Luke 2? Well, 2,000 years before Jesus, this guy named Isaiah had some prophecies, some things that are going to come down the line. And Isaiah 7, verse 14, says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Because if Jesus is just a baby, then he's just a baby. And if Jesus is just this eternal uh, God without space and time and, and all that stuff, then he starts to quickly become an, an energy, a, 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 an impersonal force that, that exists above all and, and things such as that. But this starts to change the game a little bit. Because we've zoomed out in the the gospel itself, zoomed out in the gospels, and now we're all the way 2,000 years earlier. Uh, And and it makes me think of a couple weeks ago, I was out uh, God testing. We've talked about the God test here. uh, And I had a really interesting conversation with a couple in Centennial Park. And uh, the conversation, uh, the God test, if you're not familiar with it, just ask simple questions about what do you think about God? 
It starts genuine conversations, uh, and, and you are put in a position of a learner and a listener. And so I just wanted to hear what they thought about God, and, and the more it kept on coming around, the more questions, it kept on dead-ending at this, well, God is bigger than we could possibly understand, so how could we possibly understand what he expects for our life? What could, he, what could we possibly understand about what happens after, uh, after life on earth? What could we possibly understand about scripture or religion? Uh, what could we possibly understand? And I think that we prefer an impersonal God, because I think we feel a little safer when God stays up there. I think that we feel more comfortable with God way up there because as long as he lives up there and is unknowable, then I have no obligation to live under any expectation he may have of me because it's just beyond me and I could never understand it anyway. So I'm free to remain Lord of my own life. I think we prefer our God to be unknowable. But this Jesus starts to pop the unknowable God bubble. That we see here uh, that Jesus, he shows us that God is close and dangerously present. That this baby in a manger is not just born of a virgin, not just eternal, but he's Emmanuel, God with us. And so we see here that Jesus shows us that God can be known. It's God's extension to us and our opportunity to reach towards him. All of eternity and humanity intersect at the manger. That here we have us uh, below and God above uh, finding ourselves at the same manger. That without the manger, none of this is possible. Without God reaching down from heaven to us, giving us an opportunity to say yes to him. And what I love about the Christmas story, side note, is this isn't a story about how good we were at convincing God to fix this. This wasn't our ability to pull God down, but this is God stepping down as the rescuer, stepping down as the hero, saying, I'm going to make a way because you never could. And this manger is at the center of that intersection of eternity and humanity making a way. This is the rescue plan put in motion that God is making good on his promise he made in Genesis 3. That I will come and be the rescuer that you need. This little baby in a manger shows us that God is close and dangerously present. That he wants to be intimately involved in your life. This Jesus is God's means of reaching to us and our means of coming to him. And this matters because it changes the Jesus that we see. That not only in the nativity, not only when we see Jesus, the cute little baby in a manger, but when we see Jesus, the teenager, Jesus, the man, Jesus on the cross, that he's not God Jr., it's God. Like Jesus isn't like a mini version of God. I think sometimes we overemphasize the threeness of God, the Trinity, that we forget the oneness of God. That God is God, that the Son of God is God, God the God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God is God. 
That's at the center of, of what they, uh, they say, the uh, Jewish, um, what do you call that? I don't even have it in the, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, as a Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. When we look at Jesus, we're looking at God. God didn't send his henchmen to die on the cross. God didn't send his number two to go take the position in the manger. God didn't manipulate or convince his son to go do a chore. God stepped out of eternity and into a manger. He took himself from an eternal God that is without borders, God that has no confines, not even confined to space and time itself, and and took the lowliest of positions, smaller than small. God would have had to humble himself to come as Superman. (laughs) But he came as a baby. God, real God, not God Jr. God stepped into a manger, a dirty, nasty manger. It's Christmas, so what? That's what? That's what it makes me think of. And just to, to close, it, there's this story of an unidentified woman in France. And she was getting ready to sell her house. So she brought an auctioneer to appraise her belongings. The auctioneer quickly noticed a painting hanging above the woman's hot plate in the kitchen. The painting looked like this. It turned out that the painting was from the 13th century and a long lost work of Florentine artist Chimboe. The masterpiece known as Christ Mocked is part of a series of paintings that depict Jesus' crucifixion. The painting went up for auction and sold for $26.8 million. And it was hanging in her kitchen for years. She walked past it every day as she made breakfast, every day as she had dinner, every day as she came home from work or watched TV. It was sitting in her kitchen, not knowing that it was nearly priceless. And I think that we can come to December, we can come to Christmas and walk past the painting. And we can walk past it and, and not realize what's really there. That we can walk past it. We can walk over the puddle without stepping in it. That we can just walk past it as if it's another holiday. We get some time off work, some time out of school. But the painting is worth more than you think it is. That we're not walking into another December and another cute little baby Jesus. We're walking into a season where we remember that God didn't send his number two. That we remember that God stepped into a dirty, nasty manger for you and for me. And he lived the life that we could never, ever live. And he died the death that you and I deserve so that we can be in eternal relationship with God. That we were incompatible with God. But because God came as us, we're now made compatible with him. That's Christmas. That's so what? I don't know about you. But I don't want to walk past another $30 million painting. Yeah. 
And I don't want to come into December again and say we're going to put out the same lights, sing the same songs, use the same ornaments, go to the same parties, and wrap it all up at the end of the month because God is bigger than that. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we just take a moment. We're in awe of you, God. Lord, we're in awe of who you are. God, we're in awe of all that you are. Father, it's with humility that we even come to your throne. God, realizing how small we are in comparison to you, how little we deserve of all that you are. But you thought of us. You saw us. You didn't even have to enter our reality, let alone our earth. But you took on skin and you took on flesh. And you walked as man, although you were God. For us. And so, Father, it's with humility that we approach this December. God, help us see your story through re-enchanted frames. Help this not be about another tree. God, about another Christmas carol. God, just help us recenter our vision on you. That you came, were born in a manger, to die on a cross. Father, it's with this that we humbly pray in the matchless name of Jesus, God made flesh. We pray, amen.